0: Waiting 30 days to finally receive a diagnosis of medulloblastoma can seem like an endless journey, especially since there was some hope that this diagnosis would be of a benign brain tumor. Unfortunately, that was not the case, as six year old Mia Falvi was diagnosed with this most common form of pediatric brain cancer in the summer of 2022. On today's podcast, I will speak with Mia's mom, Shauna, who will detail Mia's difficult treatment protocol that she has been going through for the past 20 months. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Six-year-old Mia Falvey had been experiencing intermittent vomiting, which had lasted about a year, and she was seen by five different doctors before her vomiting became only one of the issues that was troubling to her in the summer of 2022. On today's podcast, I will speak with Mia's mom about the last couple of years, as it is now my pleasure to introduce Shauna Falvey to my audience and welcome her to my podcast. Thank, thank you very you
1: much.
0: me. Yeah, it's great to have you here.
1: <laughs> and thank you for all the time that you devote to pediatric cancer awareness. I really appreciate that.
0: Well, it's, it's uh, you know, my pleasure to do it. Unfortunately, uh, there is this issue that has to be addressed. And the more people that address it and try to create awareness, uh, I think the better off the pediatric uh, cancer community will be. So as we start our podcast, we'll look back to 2021. When Mia was having, uh, as I said, her intermittent bouts of vomiting, what did the five doctors that she had seen during the various points of this period feel? And were you worried at all that there were other things that might have been in play uh, with the uh, uh, issues that she was having with uh, constipation?
1: Yes. So um, all of the doctors concluded that they thought she was constipated, um, so that she was backed up. And then having to let it out through vomiting. Um, but uh, she ended up losing a lot of weight as well. And she wasn't really um, interested in food. Um, and I had to really beg her to drink things. Um, so that was alarming to me as well.
0: Well, well this is really, uh, as you mentioned, that we're, we're really talking now about the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm uh mia uh, was at her favorite summer camp she came home early on a number of occasions because of tiredness as you said she wasn't interested in too much in eating she had lost weight and she'd even fall asleep when having her friends over to play Mm -hmm. then the devastating headaches began so much so that an mri was scheduled for her on a saturday didn't even take place until Tuesday because an anesthesiologist was not available. By that time, uh, Mia was waking up with these headaches. What were you told by the on-call pediatrician after the results uh, of her MRI uh, of her MRI were reviewed?
1: Well, so I just want to say um, we actually her headaches were really bad, like that Friday. So that Saturday morning, I took her to the ER. And they did not have an anesthesiologist on. So then that's when we had to get one actually scheduled to make sure that someone was on. And that's when we got it on Tuesday. Um, So.
0: I think uh, what happened was the, um, that uh, the MRI that they did the MRI and it wasn't too much after that, that you actually received the, the, uh, the, the news that you certainly didn't want to hear.
1: Yes. So after, you know, Getting an IV for a six-year-old was very difficult. <clears throat> um, so after we did that, we waited hours, and at this point, she had to um, fast, obviously, because she had to go under. Um, and it was very—it was late in the evening when we finally were able to get her in, and that's when an on-call pediatrician at her pediatrician's office called to tell us that they had found the the tumor in the posterior fossa, and that they were going to keep her under. For a longer period of time, just to scan the full brain and the full spine.
0: Okay, so you you did the doctor explain uh, well enough to you about um, the tumor, where it was, what it might have meant as far as the possibility of pediatric brain cancer was concerned, or did the or or did that doctor skip that part of it?
1: So the doctor told us it was medulloblastoma. Um, But as soon as the surgeon came from home, um, he came right to the hospital. He didn't want to call it medulloblastoma right away because um, he hadn't even been into the brain yet to see it or biopsy it. So, yeah, he didn't want to actually call it a specific type of cancer yet, the actual neurosurgeon.
0: Well, it it took quite a while, as we'll discuss, to actually get the diagnosis uh, of uh, medulloblastoma uh, official. Did you feel any relief at all when the doctor told you they were going to keep her under and give me a full brain and full spine exam? And what they found was the good news that Mm -hmm. uh, whatever tumor it actually was had not spread.
1: Yes, yes. I was very relieved after that. Um, because what they did conclude was that because it's a central nervous system tumor where it was, um, any cell could um, you know, float throughout the whole cerebral spinal, spinal fluid. So that's why it was important to really test the whole brain and spine. So I was very thankful that it was only in that one location.
0: Did the fact that the surgeon not want to actually say medulloblastoma was a definitive uh, conclusion at that time. Did you start to do the research that everybody probably does on the internet about what medulloblastoma was uh, and that it was the most uh, common form of pediatric brain cancer? So you, so you knew that stuff?
1: Yes, of course. I, as soon as, you know, the pediatrician had called, I was looking it up right then in the, in the lobby. Um, but it, there, it's it's very intricate. I mean, there's four different subtypes, so that's a whole nother. You know, you have to really indulge in all those different subtypes to really understand the the prognosis. Um, so,
0: I guess the good thing about finding out it's medulloblastoma—not that it's something you want to hear—is the fact that it is treatable, it is curable, mm-hmm. uh, and. Was that emphasized to you because there are a number of uh, pediatric brain cancers that are not survivable and uh, are possibly treatable for a little while, but after a year or so, um, it it becomes too late?
1: Yeah, we we, we didn't really get into that part of it at that moment. Um, Just uh, basically awaited for the neurosurgeon to come and kind of tell us what was happening and what was going to happen.
0: So Mia then she had a crani- uh, craniotomy and mm-hmm. tumor surgery on July first of mm-hmm. two thousand twenty two, followed by a bout of a septic meningitis. She was put on dexamethasone to help with that. What were her doctors saying at that time about how long it would take for uh, Mia's diagnosis uh, to become a, f- a final one?
1: I mean, they thought a week at the most. Um, And they sent the pathology to so many different laboratories and it kept coming back, you know, inconclusive. So they finally sent it to St. Jude's and it took over 30 days to get the final pathology report back. And of course I was reading, you know, the prognosis is best if you start treatment before 30 days. So I was getting very worried. Um, But she we were told she did have a full tumor resection because anything under 1.5 centimeters, she had a little residual left is technically a full tumor resection. And by the time we get the pathology back and did more imaging, we noticed that that small amount of cells had started growing again.
0: What was it like? You hear that the diagnosis is going to come in a week or that's what you're thinking. And it doesn't come for another three, a little over three weeks what is it like not, obviously you were doing the research and you were, you know, had all sorts of thoughts, but how difficult was it to wait 23 more days to find out what the story was going to be and when treatment uh that, that she obviously would need uh, would begin?
1: I, I kept telling myself it was going to be benign.
0: Were they but, saying at the time that this was a possibility that it could be benign?
1: Yes. I mean, they... Um, the surgeon said that most of the cells looked um you know like uh like neurons um like like cells that you would see in that area, and there was a tiny amount that looked a little bit off, so I was hoping you know it'd be you know a grade one or something you know not significantly um cancerous i I just was hoping that. It would be towards that realm, and not, you
0: know. Um, the, this, is, this question, I'm sure, is going to have an obvious answer. What were your thoughts when you were finally told that, that no, the uh, the um, the tumors were cancerous, and we and, and they had better get started uh, on uh, some treatment as soon as possible?
1: Uh, we were devastated. Um, And we were also told that they didn't really know exactly what route to take um, with this tumor just because it was, um, you know, something they had never really seen before. Um, it has a ganglion neuroblastoma phenotype. um, So they were sitting down with us after that to discuss our options and kind of give us the opportunity to decide what course of treatment to take.
0: Okay. So, so there were three options for treatment. Um, The first one was to do nothing Mm -hmm. and hope the tumor would go away. Did me as doctors give you a percentage chance of whether this would actually work or was it more of a very risky shot in the dark?
1: Um, so, Uh, The oncologist sat down with us, and um, when he gave us the three options, um, yeah, he said that we could do nothing. Um, He said in a lot of cases, you know, he would strongly disagree with that. But where he didn't know this tumor, he would give us that option. Um, And then the second one was to do high-dose chemotherapy and a stem cell transplant. It's called the Head Start 4 program. Or do high dose, um, do I'm sorry, standard risk radiation to the full brain and spine and standard risk chemotherapy. We actually didn't really talk about st- statistics at that point. Um, he was leaning towards doing the high dose chemo. And then he actually ended up going on vacation. And this um, oncologist that had just come on board with the hospital was taking over for him. So, of course, we were, you know, agonizing over this, didn't know what decision to make. So we called to talk again about it, and he ended up calling us back, this this newer doctor. And he's the one that really researched and came with a packet of statistics and sat down with us and kind of directed us to where he thought statistically would be the best way to go.
0: It was interesting. I was reading your um, uh, synopsis of what happened, and you you pretty much described it as an agonizing decision, mm-hmm. which, oh. of course, it would be the most important decision maybe you'll ever make in your life,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: as far as me is concerned. But you did go for his recommendation, uh, calling it the gold standard of treatment. How long, Do you remember how long it took before uh, Mia finally began, uh, the treatment that, uh, was, uh, was chosen.
1: So she began in September. She began radiation.
0: Okay. But so you, this is September and, of 2022. Yes. Okay.
1: As a parent, you want to stand on the toppest, you know, the top of the highest mountain in the world and, and yeah, like who can help cure my daughter? Who knows? what we're supposed to do. I, I feel like there's so many brilliant people in this world, so many amazing doctors, um, hospitals, and trials out there. You just, you want to be able to talk to everyone, you know? It's it's hard. It's hard to make a decision like that. But yes, so we um, we talked to the neurosurgeon too, and he said, you know, if it was my child, I would give it its all. And I would do the radiation, and I would do the chemo. So between all of those opinions we Decided to go with that.
0: And it looked like right away that the um, decision uh, um, that you made was the right one as some of her tumors started growing. And sure. you decided to come to Boston. Did, did you, uh, was it um, a children's hospital that you went to?
1: Yes. So we were thankful too that our hospital here decided to do um, a G tube in a central port. That really prepared her for treatment. I was very appreciative of that. Um, and the only hospital near us is Mass General that has proton therapy for radiation. So that is why we went to Mass General.
0: Okay. So you went to Mass General. And, of course, before that, you had an MRI. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, Mia had, had an MRI, a lumbar puncture, which showed mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the increase, as I mentioned before, in the in the tumor growth. She had a PET scan. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the surgery for a G2 placement and central port placement. These procedures were done in your hospital in Connecticut before you came to Boston. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Yes. And and what hospital was that? Connecticut Children's.
0: Okay. So certainly a very good uh, and and, and uh, well-known children's hospital. Yes. So she, she gets set to come to Boston. And uh, that's where the 30 rounds, I believe, of the full brain and spine protocol uh, began, which was the radiation protocol, along with taking uh, vincristine and Mematine as medication. Mm -hmm. Were her doctors at Mass General satisfied with how this treatment was working? And did you have a level of confidence that things were going well as you returned home to begin uh, Mia's chemotherapy regimen?
1: I did. Um, I, you know, it's really upsetting as a parent to have your child's full brain and full spine radiated, especially starting at six to age, you know, seven. They're so young and their brain's still developing. Always in the back of my mind, I was really upset that I was doing that to my child. Um, but again, I wanted her to be here. So um, I was very appreciative that You know, we have that technology and it's so close to home. So, yes, I I think that um, she was in a good position um, by the time we got back to Connecticut to start chemotherapy. How
0: important was it to you and to Mia to see some of her past teachers stay (laughs) after school to help Mia over the computer, as well as having her second grade teacher connect on Zoom with her after radiation treatments?
1: Yeah, it was unbelievable. So, Every day, um, she would come home from being radiated, well, actually to the apartment that we were staying at in Boston. And her kindergarten and first grade teacher would stay after and do reading and math with her. And um, during the day when she got back um, earlier in that that day, uh, her second grade teacher would let us zoom in and um, listen to some of his um, classes, in particular math. Uh, so they're incredible people because they have their own families, you know, to go home to. And for them to be able to stay after and do all this, it was it was really awesome.
0: How was Mia able to stay on course with the teachers? She was exhausted. She was mm-hmm. nauseous. But she was still able to keep up with her studies. Uh, you mentioned math uh, and her reading assignments. How was she able to do that?
1: Um, she's a, a determined little girl, for sure. Um. Uh, the place that we stayed at was pretty much right across the hospital. It was very convenient, and um, it was it was comfortable. And uh, I felt like she was able to sit like a normal kitchen table or couch and and kind of relax while she worked on her studies.
0: Now I'm going to st- uh, start uh, going over um, Mia's chemotherapy journey, and you can certainly. Uh, correct me if I'm making any mistakes, because there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. It was was a very far from smooth uh, uh, journey, as we're about to find out. You worried about hearing loss. She Mm -hmm. had fevers. She had an infection on her G-tube. She was neutropenic on occasion. She had a neuropsych exam that took eight hours in total. She had audiology exams, and by the time that cycle four had begun, out of what was supposed to be nine cycles, they found radiation necrosis, which is the dying of cells, and Avastin infusions began. Can, can you remember how long a period of time did this take place? And despite all the difficulties, were her doctors still on point with the treatment Uh, Or were there any unexpected signs uh, in in the first uh, uh, say four cycles uh, that had popped up?
1: Um, I think that we expected to have like more inpatient stays than planned, uh, just because um, you know your counts get so low with the toxic drugs that they give you. Um, But um, when the necrosis was found um we were pretty upset um knowing that the treatment that we had decided upon uh was now causing the issues um also this this treatment's been used for decades now there hasn't really been any change to it um so we were really upset by by that
0: did the doctor who eventually was the one that convinced you to use this ter- um uh, this treatment, this was the third of the, of the three options. Did, did this doctor mention to you about the, any possible side effects that actually occurred or did he prepare you to, he or she prepare you to expect things such as this, uh, to, um, uh, to come, uh, and, uh, be, be, uh, issues during, uh, you know, during the treatment.
1: Yes. Um, you, you you sit in a meeting with the radiation oncologist and they, you know, run through the list of potential side effects. Um, but where she was having standard risk radiation, I was hopeful that the potential side effects were going to be small. Um, <clears throat> and when they first told us that she had radiation necrosis, I was thinking, well, you know, you're radiating radiating, radiating a brain. I'm sure a lot of the patients end up with this but then if you read about it it's a serious complication and it's a very small percentage um that, that get the radiation necrosis
0: and of course you would be unlucky a very but, small percentage right um, uh, i mean they that happening
1: component to it um i even called saint Jude's to talk to them about it um you know they're still researching why certain people get it versus others
0: Now, more problems came up as cycle five uh, of of chemo began. This included, she had balance issues. She had adrenal difficulties, uh, inefficiencies caused by steroids. She had some damage to her ovaries. And then there was a possible development of diabetes. Early puberty was being, uh, would have been watched at, at some point along with the onset of incontinence due to the use of Avastan, which could have been causing kidney damage. Can you talk about these issues and with these possible issues that were not discussed um, uh, initially and were again, extra ones that came up even though it was a standard risk radiation?
1: Um, so the Avastin was recommended by her uh, radiation oncologist and um it's supposed to really help with the, the radiation necrosis. And it initially did, um, until we started cycle five of chemotherapy. So, um, you know, we, we wish we never had done that cycle five, but we didn't, we didn't know. Um, so, uh, when initially, when I saw that the areas were becoming less enhanced, um, I told, I was talking to the neurosurgeon and I was like, wow, a a wonder drug. And he said, if you were a nephrologist, you would not think that, um, because we now understand it's very toxic talk- to the kidneys. Um, but we don't, so she became incontinent. We don't really know what specifically has caused that. Um, she has gone through many, um, urology tests, um, and Actually, today we're beginning pelvic floor physical therapy to hopefully um, address that and uh, just really hoping that it's more of a muscle issue um, and, and not really um, a, a drug effect.
0: Now, Mia's team has determined that it will be best to stop the chemotherapy treatments as the necrosis issue has been getting worse. Mia will be getting an MRI in, in two weeks and a determination of what to do after that will be decided. Have any ideas come up about that eventual decision, um, or are you just going to completely wait and see?
1: So that's the thing. There's really only right now three um, ways to treat necrosis. Um, one is Avastin, obviously, that we've tried many times. Um, two is hydrosteroids, which we tried. Um Um, Another like a a little side trial that they're doing is that high-dose pentoxifilin with vitamin E, which we tried, and then hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which I love because it's not toxic. Um, And we did try 40 sessions of the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, She was doing this with everything else, so we don't really know what was helping, but again, it helped a tiny, tiny bit. Um, for me, I would love to do another 40 sessions, um, because when we, uh, we going through the evaluation, um, at the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, clinic, the doctor there said he would do up to 80 sessions. So we still have the potential of using 40 more, uh, so that that's what I would, that's the route I would like to go. But, um, again, we're going to meet with the whole team after the MRI, um, try to make the best decision again. <laughs>
0: And I'd like to talk a little bit more about this uh, hyperbaric uh, oxygen mm-hmm. therapy. What I- is that therapy? Where is it trying to focus on, as far as the problems that she has? And and I guess uh, to expand on that, uh, what is the purpose of that therapy that that you seem very comfortable with, particularly uh, when when it's non toxic?
1: Okay, so first, uh, I just want to say that. It's these sessions, two hours a day. Um, you basically have this helmet over your head with a neck, um, like a collar, uh, and you're sitting in, it almost looks like a submarine. So you have this suit on in a submarine for two hours. And basically, um, a tube pumps 100% oxygen into that, that bubble that's on your head. Um, and it's supposed to help to increase healing to that dead tissue, uh, the necrosis, um, again, without using drugs. So, um, and
0: and you say that there was a little bit of an improvement, Mm -hmm. uh, with the first 40. And of course the hope will be that there's more improvement if they go in, uh, to the next 40, but that two hours a day. So you're talking about a very grueling, uh, you know, time that you have to spend under the, um, under the helmet. I don't know if it's uncomfortable or not, hopefully not for Mia, but still it's, it's quite
1: a process. Yes. So she would go to school in the morning. Math is at nine. So we would make sure that she didn't miss math. Um, and then drive an hour down to Bridgeport. And then she would spend two hours in the chamber and then we would drive, drive home.
0: Now you mentioned school. So (laughs) how long has Mia been back in school? Uh, And how is that going for her uh, on a daily basis or as often as she's able to go?
1: School is incredible. Um, The nurses are amazing. The staff, um, the teachers, everyone is just so supportive. Um, Since the last MRI, they said we are going to give her a break and just be a child. Let her go to school as much as she wants. Um, And I think that really, you know, has helped her. she truly loves being there.
0: Well, I, I think it's certainly, you know, she's with her friends. She's mm-hmm. with an environment that it is certainly very inviting, I'm sure, for her. And compared to what she has been going through, uh, it, it's it, it's great to hear that she's able to go to school and able to get a good experience during it. <laughs> now, Mia's also been having trouble eating her food normally on occasion. Uh, you had mentioned that. What are her options? Uh, if this continues
1: so she still has the g-tube um which i actually appreciate because i can give so many different kinds of nutrients to her besides her nourish organic formula i put in you know blueberries blackberries strawberries spinach homemade coconut milk bone broth um all kinds of things uh that i think are beneficial for her Definitely in the morning, she needs that. She can't eat by mouth. She's pretty nauseous in the morning. Um, so I actually hook her up while she's sleeping. So for an hour, she'll feed, but also still be able to sleep. And then when she wakes up, she can get ready for school. Um, for lunch, the nurses usually text me what she like, and I go out and get it and bring it to school to her. Um, and then dinner... I mean, it's hard for her. Sometimes she has cravings. Sometimes she says, I I just don't know what I want, you know? Um, So sometimes we'll hook her up again. um, Or she can kind of voice what she, what she's craving at that time.
0: You mentioned before the podcast that you have a two and a half year old at Mm -hmm. home as well as Mia. And you just mentioned uh, what you have to do to prepare for her to eat, not by um, the normal, uh, (laughs) <laughs> way, way, uh, a six-year-old would eat. Has the word sleep ever, um, uh, occurred to you that you need some?
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my daughter doesn't sleep either because again, so now, um, um, the, the, the school nurse had noticed that her hearing was, was, uh, decreasing. Um, so, uh, we ha- went to the audiologist and discovered she has significant hearing loss, uh, to the left ear. Um, So the ENT wanted to try to do uh, one round of high dose steroids um, to try to bring back, if we can, a little bit of the hearing. Um, So anytime she's on steroids, it's very difficult for her to sleep. Um, She becomes very anxious at night. uh, So she's... And I I sleep with her. (laughs) Ever since she was diagnosed, she wants me to sleep with her. So I do. Um, So it's definitely definitely the nights can become um, difficult sleep-wise. Um, but yes.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that that's more than understandable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You've also mentioned that um, Amir suffers from, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, papilledema, which is mm-hmm. an optic nerve issue. Can you talk about her many trips that she's had to take uh, to an ophthalmologist for that?
1: Yes. So the neurosurgeon, as soon as she came out of surgery, um, noticed that her eye was wandering towards the middle. um, So he wanted her to follow up right away with the ophthalmologist. And um, since then, we had been following up with her. She's incredible. Um, And she wanted us to come frequently just to keep checking the pressure um, and any kind of swelling in the brain um, and on the optic nerve. It has completely gone away now. Um, but we'll be still following up just to just to be sure um
0: speaking of following up now you mentioned the um uh hearing loss that she's had in her left ear is there a possibility have have they mentioned to you that this type of thing could actually expand to her right uh right ear or for now can we just talk about the left ear
1: yeah so i mean really there's side effects of That one is in particular from chemotherapy, but they say the side effects of radiation and chemotherapy can occur years and years and years later, um, which is is, is really overwhelming. Um, We did try sodium thiosulfate, which just became FDA approved, and that's supposed to um, prevent the cisplatin in particular, the chemotherapy drug that kind of sits in the cochlear and um, causes that hearing loss. Um, so, because it's been some time since we had chemotherapy, I was really hoping that it was a miracle drug for her, uh, seeing that she didn't have any issues hearing-wise um, through her audiology exams. But last week, when we went and they found that significant hearing loss, um, it was very discouraging. Uh, but so, yes, it could occur in the right ear as well, even years later.
0: You mentioned the possibility of a, a cochlear uh, implant
1: mm-hmm.
0: being looked at, which I believe is some sort of an electronic device to help with that. Is that is that a possibility? And are you looking seriously at that?
1: Yes. So um, if the high dose steroids hasn't brought any of the hearing loss back, um, she would need a cochlear implant. But uh, we'll find out on Tuesday. She'll have another exam on Tuesday. Um, if has come back a little bit. They were hoping to use um, just a a hearing aid um, versus the actual implant.
0: Now, when you look at the all too many obstacles that Mm -hmm. Mia's had to deal with, it's obvious that the word resilience Mm -hmm. is one of the top qualities that she fortunately has to overcome what's been dealt to her. Can you talk about Mia? And what is her persona that makes her such a remarkable young girl?
1: So, um, every time someone tells her something, um, she always finds the positive in it. Um, you know, even when her hair started falling out, um, she asked me to take her to the hairdressers that was right across from the hospital just to shave it off. And, um... You know, I, I, it was devastating for me. I was crying, but she was just giving me the thumbs up. Um, and even with this new hearing loss, um, she said, oh, one of my friends has a cochlear implant. You know, she, she's not, she didn't seem, there was no negativity um, about it. Um, she really just hurdles every obstacle um, and just keeps going with a smile. It's, it's incredible.
0: It's just amazing the way that these kids mm-hmm. are able to um, rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really are and and they are tougher and and uh, stronger than any of us are. i, I would i would uh, I, I would venture to say that that that's a pretty um, uh, realistic comment because I've had the pleasure the honor really of of being able to to, um, visit kids at children's hospital in Boston a number of years ago on the oncology floor. And unanimously all the parents that I talked to and the doctors say, these kids are the ones that keep their parents going. Would that be uh, the the case in your experience?
1: Most definitely. Yes. She always finds the positivity. You know, if she has an MRI at a certain time, she's like, Oh, well at least I can still go to Ava's house or, you know, Um, it's just incredible.
0: Now you mentioned that you've had great support from the school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd like to know about the support that you've had from your community, friends, family members, as they try to take each step that you need to, as you try to move forward and how, uh, helpful has this hopeful support been for you?
1: Um, there's been a lot of organizations along the way um, that have really helped us, you know, to find housing in Boston, um, to help us financially. Um, but, yes, our family has been unbelievable. I don't know how families do it that don't have families to support them. Um, you know, I, when Mia was diagnosed, my son was under one. Um, so it was very difficult for me to be away from him. Um I was still nursing at the time and, um, not being able to put him to sleep or, um, but uh, my husband has three sisters and an incredible mother, um, brother-in-laws, and they would take turns to come stay at the house, um, constantly visit, um, my mother coming from Massachusetts very frequently to help, um, our community had a parade for Mia before she went to chemo chemothera- I'm sorry, before she went to radiation in Boston. Um, Families still drop by with pasta and meatballs, lasagna. Um, they had a fundraiser for us to help financially. Um, I feel very blessed in that way that we are surrounded by wonderful people because uh, I really don't know how some people do it. I I see it. You know, I'm part of these groups, parent groups, and there are people, single moms, that have to do this alone. And I just, I could never imagine
0: such a difficult situation. Have you cooked? Have you cooked uh, a lot fewer dinners than you used to cook?
1: Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Neighbors, a lot of like the, you know, there's Italian mothers that help out. They, I I think, I think it, 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 they find joy in it you know, that they can help out in that way.
0: It's it's so great to see the way a community and people just really step up to the plate. And this happens, Mm -hmm. thankfully, almost in in most most occasions when there's a uh, situation going on like that. And certainly I'm happy to hear that you're definitely a part of that. How has this situation changed you? Hmm. Or at least change your perspective of life.
1: So, um, you know, as a mother, it's it's very, very difficult to not be able to take this all away. Um, uh, I never thought that this would ever happen in my life and um, something that I would be going through. Um, but as we talked about, I just... I keep having to follow me as lead and um, stay positive and keep on going just like she is. Well,
0: you, you're certainly doing uh, a great job at that. And, and, and uh, as is Mia, by the way, in case you uh, had lost any confidence in that, you don't need to, uh, she, she's obviously doing great. What are her next steps after, you know, I know that the uh, uh, MRI will be coming up in a few weeks. and. Do the doctors remain confident that although there have been obstacles, there probably will be more obstacles, but the right path is there for her, and that uh you're in the right place with with the doctors uh and uh the care that they're giving her?
1: yeah i I think I, I mean, as disease goes i i I believe that it's been taken care of um as do they. Uh, it's just this radiation necrosis is something that we just need to get a handle of, uh, because the potential, you know, side effects of those lesions can definitely have detrimental effects. Um, so it's really just trying to decrease those, um, the neurosurgeon can't do surgery because of the locations, um, so it's just finding that right treatment to take them away
0: (laughs) where can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn a little bit more about mia uh when, when when people listen to these podcasts uh there are times that they would like to actually contact the person themselves because they've been through it or they know someone and uh so if you can give us that information
1: Yes, and Mark, I I've actually contacted some people on your podcasts, so I appreciate that. Um, so I have think they
0: been helpful? Have they been helpful to you? I hope.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. Thank you. Oh,
0: that's great. That is great to hear. <laughs> that is great to hear.
1: Thank you. Um, so I think my email would probably be best. It's okay. Donna, S H A U N A. Dot, Ahern. A-H-E-A-R-N, the number one, at gmail.com.
0: Okay, that that is uh, a simple enough email.
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, i am on Facebook too, Shauna Falvey. Um, you can see my daughter Mia when she was, I think, four. She's dressed up as Wonder Woman um, as her costume. So I have that as my profile picture because she well, certainly...
0: Wonder Woman. I was <laughs> you, just going to say uh, uh Wonder Woman is the perfect getup for her without a mm-hmm. doubt. As we come to the end of this podcast, first of all to come on my show and to be able to talk so beautifully about Mia, you know, you're you're, you're right in the middle of this. You know, uh hopefully hopefully are the back end of it uh as, as you move on, but but you've been through quite a uh you know, obviously a turbulent time. Mia has been inc- obviously an incredible patient to be able to you know, go through what, what she's been through. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we've probably talked about 20 different things that mm-hmm. have happened as far as, you know, uh, 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 surgeries and, and getting ready for the radiation and the chemo and everything else that, that has gone on with this. And uh, of course, my hope is that uh, she's uh, well past uh, the worst part of her treatment and everything from now will be uh, progress toward, towards a much better situation and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show. And uh, I just wish you the best of luck as time goes on.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for everything you do. We really appreciate this so much.
0: Well, it, it, it's my pleasure. and um, do do me one favor after this podcast, give me a hug for me.
1: I will. Thank <laughs> you very much thank you So much, Mark.
0: The next few weeks will be important ones for Mia. Shauna and the Falvey family, as some critical decisions are about to be made concerning Mia's next treatment protocol after her MRI results come in. We will all keep our fingers crossed that everything will work out in the best possible fashion. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Thursday when I will speak with Nova Scotia residents Shauna and Brian Smith, who will talk about their son Oliver who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma as a 10-year-old in 2017, and unfortunately passed away in late June of 2019, just one day after his 12th birthday. Shauna and Brian will also discuss their wonderful nonprofit, The Ollie Bots Project, which they started in 2019, in honor of Oliver.